Okay, we are starting Acts chapter 21, Acts 21, and we're going to start reading from verse 1. When we had parted from them and had set sail, we ran a straight course to Kos, and next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. And having found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. And we came in sight, when we came in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we kept sailing to Syria and landed at Tyre, for there, for there the ship was to unload its cargo. And after looking up the disciples, we stayed there seven days, and they kept telling Paul through the Spirit not to set foot in Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we left and we started on our journey, while they all, with wives and children, escorted us until we were out of the city. And after kneeling down on the beach and praying, we said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and, and they returned home again. And when, they had when we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at uh, Tolimas, and after greeting the brethren... We stayed with them for a day. Okay. So, in, now we're seeing the termination, the end of Paul's third missionary journey, and he's on his way back to Jerusalem. And remember, he, was trying, he had originally tried to get back to Jerusalem for the Passover, but that, he'd never made it. And now he's on his way back to Jerusalem, trying to make it to the Feast of Pentecost, which Pentecost occurs 50 days after the Passover. It is a celebration... Uh, 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 remembering the time or a time of remembrance when Moses was up on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments, which happened 50 days after the Passover, hence called Pentecost. And so he's on his way back. They, they're, they're sailing on these ships and he, he, they're heading toward uh, the province of Syria. So the province of Syria also c contained Israel. So it was, a, it, it was, it was uh, uh, to map it out as a province. And they landed at Tyre, which is just north of the northernmost part of Israel today. They unloaded, un, unloaded their cargo, but even though they, they, they were just unloading their cargo, they were there for seven days. And it says in verse 4, And looking up the disciples, we stayed there seven days. So, as soon as they arrived there, they looked up the disciples. We don't have any record of them having been there before. Maybe they had. Nevertheless, they, they, they figured there must be a church there, and they looked up the disciples. So this is what they did. They felt a union with the body of Christ, that they wanted to have a relationship. And though they were just passing through, because they were landing in Tyre, and then they were going to take, take the ship down, and then it says that they, they landed... After that, they, they came down and they landed in another city, uh, Tolimus, which presently is called Akko, is the present name of the city. But anyway, once they landed, immediately they looked up the disciples. There was a relationship there. Even though they were only passing through, they looked up the disciples. Why not just hang out on the beach for seven days? I mean, here they had been three years multiple years, on, on, and now that they were just finishing up their third missionary journey. But there was a union, there was a bond to them in the body of Christ. They felt a need and a desire to have fellowship in the body of Christ. 
And so, so it says that, that uh, uh, while the, 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 the ship was unloading, they built a relationship. This is important for us to remember. The relationships that come in the body of Christ. That when you move to a new town, you actively seek to find a church. These guys were only there for a few days. In fact, we're going to see that, that uh, uh, in verse 7, when they arrived in, in Tolimas, which is present-day Akko, they greeted the brethren and they stayed with them for a day. They were only there for one day, but right away they met the brethren. And it's not like they, they could you know, take the cell phone from the ship and call up and say, hey, we're coming in. No, they had to go and they had to look them up. There was an effort involved there. But this, these are the steps that they took. So when you, when you go to a new city, find a church. Find a body of Christ. When we moved to Houston, immediately, every Sunday, we were in a different church checking things out. And within four to six weeks, I mean, we had made our decision. You can find churches rather rapidly. There's churches all over the city. And if you want to check every church out before you become a member, you can stay here for years. But you're going to have to find somewhere to begin to get knit in. It's the same on campus. You need to seek out other believers. Don't think, well, if God really wants me to be with believers, He'll bring somebody in my life. He might. But you need to take a step to do that. You need to initiate that. Each of us is supposed to be reaching out to other believers. Paul made an effort. So Paul is here with, with Luke, is traveling with him, and, and uh, uh, they made an effort to meet the body of Christ, as tired as they may have been from this missionary journey. They made this effort. This is what we're called to do, and it's through relationships that we are built up. It is through these sort of relationships. Now it goes on and it says, in verse 5, When our days there were ended, we left and we started, started on our journey, while they all, with wives and children, escorted us until we were out of the city. And so you see that these believers were together. It wasn't just meeting with, with, with Paul and with Luke and a few other of his travelers. And then the men coming out and meeting them, they brought their wives along and they brought their children along. This is very important. I want to think about this for a moment. It is important that we learn as families to worship with the body of Christ. Young men, it is your job. It is your job to one day lead your family in the way of Christ. It is your job. And sometimes men will walk up to me and they'll say, Oh, you know, my wife, she's really the one who kind of leads us, you know. And I'm thinking, why do you even want to say that? Isn't that embarrassing to you? You say it as if it's a cool thing, that you're too cool to lead and your wife kind of has to take up the lead and do everything to lead the family in spiritual things. No, young man, you be ready. You're going to take up the lead. You're going to take up the lead. And you're going to go with your wife and with your children to church. And you're going to lead them in spiritual things. Learn to be a man and lead them in the spiritual way. Don't think, oh, you, you know, I, I, I don't have to leave them. That's a, my, my wife will take care of the children. She'll teach them the ways of God. No, you teach them the ways of God. You do it. And you work with your wife to teach them the ways of God. This is a man's responsibility. You know, so often when a marriage is having trouble, it is the woman who has to go and seek out counseling and to go and seek out help and beg her husband to go. 
Don't do that. Men, you lead it. You lead it. Your, your marriage is having trouble. You initiate it to go into counseling. You initiate it to go for help. You say, well, that's embarrassing. Well, be embarrassed. Do what you have to do to retain this marriage. It is a precious thing. How hard have, have people really worked to see that their marriages work, to see that they are retained? They take work. But it is a treasure. It is an absolute treasure to have a family walking in the ways of Christ. And it is not easy. And it doesn't come easily for anyone. I wake up my kids in the morning, and I've done it since they were little kids. I would take them out of the crib. I would take them out of the crib. Even when Shereen would say, you know, they're only a week old. It's okay. I take them out of the crib and bring them into family worship. And I wake them up. My kids, to this day, the kids are in the home. 5.30 in the morning, I wake them up. And they have to be out in the family room and we read scriptures together, we pray together, and we memorize scripture and we each recite what we've memorized. This is what we do. And you think that I don't have other things that I could be doing at 5.30 in the morning? I have plenty of other things. You know, think that, you know, I, oh, I'm always saying, ha, huh, ha, huh, I can't wait to have family prayer time. It's 5.30. Oh, yes. You know, some days I'm not really into this, but I do it because I am the Father and I am leading them in the ways of Christ. Young men, you do this. Very often you'll meet women who just would long for their husbands to take up some spiritual leadership in the home. It says the men, with their wives and with their children, went and they escorted Paul to the beach. They knelt down, they prayed with them. It is a family thing. Church is something that is done as families. Jesus if you look in the Scriptures, the Scriptures always was gathering people as groups according to families, according to families. It is an important thing that we are to treasure and to, we are to work toward and the enemy loves to divide the family. And that's nothing new. If you look in, in Exodus, this, the, the, the second book of the Bible, in Exodus chapter 10, when the Jews were lead, leaving Egypt, finally Pharaoh had been hit with a bunch of plagues. And Moses had kept saying, let us go out and worship our God. And, and uh, uh, after being hit with a bunch of plagues, he went ahead and he called Moses and Aaron back in Exodus chapter 10, verse 8. So Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to them, go serve the Lord your God. Who are the ones who are going? Moses said, we shall go with our young and our old, with our sons and our daughters, with our flocks and our herds, we shall go, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. Then Pharaoh said to them, Thus may the Lord... Then he said to them, Thus may the Lord be with you if, you, if I ever let you take your little ones. Take heed, for evil is in your mind. Not so. Go now, the men among you, and serve the Lord, for that is what you desire. So they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. So you see, Pharaoh didn't want didn't want the men going with their families to go and worship. Probably he wanted to make sure that the men would return by holding back their, their wives and their children. But Moses would have nothing to do with that. He said, no, if we're going to worship, we are going to worship as families. We're taking our wives, we're taking our children, we're taking our flocks, we're taking our herds, we're taking everything. We're going to have a feast to the Lord. The enemy is always trying to divide the family. And men in this day and age are so weak-hearted. I mean absolutely weak-hearted. They will sit back and say, well, you know, I'm going fishing on Sunday. My wife takes the kids. 
as if they're really cool. You're not cool. You're stupid when you do that. That is wrong to do. The men should be leading them there. You go fishing some other day. You don't have another day, then don't go fishing. You go to church and you worship God and you teach your children what it is to go to church and to worship God. And the other thing that happens is there's zillions of excuses on Sunday morning of why people can't get to church. And especially when they have a little kid. For some reason, this this eight-pound entity can keep a husband and a wife from going to church for weeks. Oh, well, we were almost out the door and he threw up down my back. Well, that's having little kids. That's why you have a rag with you. And you wipe it off your back and you smell like, like milk and you go to church. Because people who have little children understand that smell and they know what it's all about and you just go anyway. Don't worry about your clothes. You just go anyway. Lots and lots of excuses. I think in, in, in the last 30 years, because of sickness, I may have missed. I can't even remember specifically. If I have missed church because of sickness, it's been once in 30 years. I mean, that's, and I don't even remember. I'm just saying, you know, just to cover myself, maybe there was a day. Now, does that mean I always felt healthy? No. But I was going to lead my family. And if one of the kids had a flu, we wouldn't bring them to church and sit them in the nursery. But they had to be really sick. I mean, really sick. And only one of us was going to stay home with them. And the rest of the family would go. It was important. This idea of staying together as a family unit is important. And children see hypocrisy better than anyone else. And if you just go to church, well, you know, they're getting to be four or five years old. They're going to notice, so maybe we'll kind of show our face in church. They will know it, that you're a hypocrite, that you're just going as a show. You bring them to church and you, bring, and, and you come to worship. And let me tell you, little kids generally love church. You know, once they get, get past the thing of being afraid of the nursery, they end up loving it, generally. But they don't always. One of my daughters hated the nursery. And the nursery workers hated her. Because every time she'd get in the nursery, she, she'd just see it and she'd start screaming. But still, we were going every Sunday. We would go every Sunday. And, and, and lo and behold, after, after six months of just screaming every Sunday, she learned... That her screaming wasn't going to change anything. She was going to church. And she was going to be in the nursery. This is what was going to happen. So that we could worship and then they start having their little, little fellowship times. And then they're, in the, they're with us in the service. They're going to learn to work and to serve in the body of Christ. We are going to serve in the body of Christ because we want our children to learn that being in the body of Christ is service. Being in the body of Christ means more than coming and sitting in a chair and going home. Being in the body of Christ means service. Jesus said that the Gentiles lord it over you. He says, not so. Not so in the kingdom of God. It is service. He says, we are here to serve one another. He says, I came to serve you. Can you imagine the Son of God coming and saying, I came not to be served, but to serve. I mean, this is the Son of God. And He didn't come for us to be waiting on Him all the time. He came to serve us. This is the demonstration of what the Son of God has showed us. He said, as I wash your feet, I want you to learn to wash others' feet. The whole thing is turned in the body of Christ. I want my family to learn service. 
in the body of Christ. I want them to participate in the ministries that I am in, in the body of Christ. Families are a treasure. They're an absolute treasure. Look in, in, in Psalm 68. Somebody with an with, with a NIV, read Psalm 68, verse 6, the first part. Shout that out. There you go. God sets the lonely in families. Families are a treasure. God sets the lonely in families. Families are something to be absolutely treasured. And you work at it. You work at maintaining the family. Many of you probably came from broken homes. And you don't have to stay there. You don't have to maintain that, that, that brokenness. How hard are you willing to work to maintain your marriage? How hard are you willing to work to maintain your family? Are you willing? Are you willing to submit yourself to counseling when needed? Many times my wife and I have gone into counseling. I'm, I'm proud to say that. We go in for oil changes. This is something we do. It's part of having marriages that function and flow well. And in every case, well, I don't know every, but most cases, I was the one that initiated it. I was the one who called the counselor. I was the one who set this thing up because I'm the spiritual leader in the home. And so many guys will have to have their wives beg them, would you please go to counseling so we can work on this marriage? Young men, remember, you initiate this. If your wife tells you, you, think you that, that, that she thinks you need counseling, don't say, oh, well, you know, maybe you need it, but I don't. Or, well, if you need it, then I'll go with you. No, you initiate the thing and say, okay, I'll call, I'll make the appointment, we'll go. Marriage is important. Are you willing to work that hard to maintain it? Are you willing to appeal to the individual and beg for reconciliation? Are you willing to endure hardship with that other individual? Maybe, maybe your spouse turns out to be bipolar and all of these things are going on in the marriage and it's hard work. Well, that's what marriage is all about. If you work at retaining this, it becomes of more value to you and you become all the stronger. You know, I heard this, this, this woman, she was, uh, she, she was actually writing a story for a Christian magazine and her husband had fallen into an affair with another woman and he repented went into counseling in the church and begged her for forgiveness. But as she wrote, she said, you know, I was going to get my pound of flesh. And she ended up divorcing him as he was appealing to her, please, I am sorry. Now, I am not condoning adultery at all. I am just telling you what this Christian woman wrote. And she wrote and she said, I hope this works for other families. She said, I was going to get my pound of flesh out of him. And he begged me not to divorce him. And so anyway, after a while, the divorce went through. And after that, sometime, the, the, the man who was actively attending church found a woman, married her, ended up having a small child. And this woman, who had divorced her husband, said that she was sitting in the park one day all alone. And she, her former husband and his wife and their child were walking by and they stopped and they greeted her and said hello. And she saw the life that he was having. 
and the joy that he was having in a family and in a home. And she was so sorry that she had not learned to proclaim forgiveness and that she had sought her pound of flesh from him. And she was really the one in misery. Now, there are all sorts of things that happen in marriage. And there are great needs for forgiveness in marriage. And if there's adultery in marriage, there are enormous things that need to be worked through. But I'm telling you, are you willing to walk in forgiveness in marriage? When your spouse does things that are wrong, that hurt you, how hard are you willing to work for your marriage? It is not easy to maintain a flowing marriage, but it is so blessed and is so rewarding. And I have never known anyone, I've never known anyone to say to me, boy, I'm really sorry that I didn't go through with that divorce ten years ago. I'm really sorry I'm still married to this person. I've never seen that. But I have seen many people say, I am so glad that when we were going through troubles, we didn't get divorced. I am so glad that we learned to work this thing out. Families are a precious thing in God's eyes. You work at it, you work at it, and remember men, you take up the leadership role. You learn to be men and take up the leadership role because in our generation, the men have turned into absolute wimps. And so the women have had to rise up and bring the children to church because the guy always wants to sleep in because he's tired. Because, well, too bad. You're tired, you go anyway. You go to work when you're tired, don't you? You go to church, drink a cup of coffee, and, and you go in there and you worship. This is what you have to do. And then, and then, and then if your wife doesn't attend with you, say she, she for, you know, wants to back up, you keep bringing the kids and you keep showing an example of Christian service. Keep showing the example and she will come around. She will come around. And you say, well, here I am waking up every morning and teaching the kids the Bible. My, my own wife doesn't even attend. You just keep doing it. You just keep walking faithfully and she will be so shamed that here you guys are out there enjoying the Scriptures and meeting together as a family, that she will eventually come. She will come. She will follow. Men, you take up the cross and you follow Jesus and be men and walk with Him. Learn to do this because families are precious things so that when the Scriptures talk about it, it says they came with their wives and with their children. You are one with me in this ministry and we will do it together. And learn to maintain that family. And if you come from a home that's undergone divorce, remember, that pattern doesn't need to be extended into you. And if you come and everyone in your family gets married and divorced multiple times, that doesn't have to extend into your life. It does not have to. You pray that God brings the right person into your life. And that right person doesn't mean that you never have problems. Doesn't mean that you never have disagreements. Happens all the time, but you learn to work through these things. And you learn to bring up your children in the ways of the Lord. You learn to walk in this way. Okay, let's read on. Verse 7 of Acts 21. And when they had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Tolemus, and after greeting the brethren, we stayed with them for one day. On the next day we left, and we came to Caesarea, and entering the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, we stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who were prophetesses. Okay, now, now the, the NIV says four unmarried daughters. Actually, the NIV tries to put things into, into common language. The word there is actually virgin daughters. They were virgins. 
Okay, so let's learn about this guy, Philip. We've seen him before. We first saw Philip in Acts chapter 6. He was one of the seven deacons that was chosen in the church in Acts chapter 6. Verse 5, it mentions Philip. And then you pick up Philip again in Acts chapter 8, where we see him evangelizing. And in Acts chapter 8, Philip was the evangelist who went into Samaria, who preached the gospel, and, and, uh, uh, and, and the power of God was revealed through him. And uh, um, then he called for Peter. Peter came down, prayed for them, and the Holy Spirit fell on those people because Peter hadn't yet opened the door to the Samaritans. Remember, it was through Peter. As soon as Peter opened the door for the Jews, Peter was never needed again for the Holy Spirit to hit the Jews. As soon as he opened it for the Samaritans, he was never needed again. The door was open. And then as soon as, as Peter opened the door for the Holy Spirit to fall upon the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10, Peter was never needed again to preach to the Gentiles to have the Holy Spirit fall. The door was open. And then we leave off Peter in the end of Acts chapter 8. I'm, I'm sorry, we leave off Philip in verse 40 of Acts chapter 8. It says, But Philip found himself at Azotus, and he passed through and kept preaching the gospel to the cities until he came to Caesarea. So, Azotus is, is the current day Ashdod, which is in, in the southern, southeast portion. He went up the coast and he ended up uh, 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 stopping his traveling in Caesarea. Why he stopped going around and traveling, we're not sure. But he ended up still being called now Philip the Evangelist. So he was still quite one who was talking about God. Now where we pick him up, and this is in Acts chapter 21, this is about 20 years later. You want to see the outcome of a man who is so excited about the Lord, he starts out in Acts chapter 6 as a servant waiting on tables. They were chosen, these men, these seven deacons were chosen to wait on tables because remember, the Jewish women, I'm sorry, the... the, uh, the Hellenistic Jewish women, the ones who were not from Jerusalem, weren't getting served. I mean, imagine church problems. You say, well, I don't want to be in a church that has problems. Well, I don't know where you're going to find a church like that. Just like you say, I don't want to be in a family that has problems. I don't see where you, where you find a family like that. Uh, uh, but anyway, so this early church had problems in that some widows weren't being fed. They chose seven people full of the Holy Spirit, to wait on tables. Philip was one of those seven. He started out waiting on tables. He didn't start out as Philip the great evangelist. He started out waiting on tables. Young men, young women, this is where you start. You start cleaning floors, waiting on tables, doing this sort of thing, and you're built up in Christian service. A little while later in Acts chapter 8, he becomes a great and mighty evangelist. And this great and mighty evangelist, 20 years later, we see where he is. He is living in Caesarea, right where we left him off, and he now has a home. He now has a family, and he has four daughters. And it says those four daughters were virgins. Now, how dare God mention their sexual status and have Luke, a man, write about their sexual status? I mean, why is God so intrusive? And what about Luke? I mean, who is he to write about their sexual status and record it in a book for everyone to read that these four girls were virgins? And I'll tell you why. Because it is something to be proud of. It is something to emulate. These young women were virgins. They were good young women. Philip was not only an evangelist, 
Not only did he wait on tables, he knew how to take care of a family. So much so that all four of his daughters were virgins. They were fine young women. Virginity is something to be praised both for men and for women. It is a good thing. It is a very good thing. And though the world tells you oppositely, the world is wrong. Flat out wrong. Young people who are promiscuous have eight times higher suicide rate. Oh, so, so, so if, if, if sleeping around makes you happy, they're obviously not a whole lot happier. You will be much happier if you learn to walk in God's way and maintain that. And you can make a decision from today. If that is something that has been lost, you make a decision that you will keep yourself pure and right for the day of marriage. And you make it clear when you start to date somebody, I don't do this type of thing. You make it clear from day one. And if that person is all bent out of shape about that, then let them go. Because you don't want to be around that person. But if somebody has an understanding of the ways of God, they won't be bent out of shape about that. They'll well respect that and they'll respect you much more for it. This man had four virgin daughters, and it says they were prophetesses. They were active in the body of Christ. Just like their father had been active, not that it was listed that he had been a prophet, but he was a waiter of tables. You serve in the body of Christ, your children will follow. You serve in the body of Christ, your children will follow your example. You don't serve, your children will follow your example. Learn to labor and to serve in the body of Christ. Whether it's in the church or in the campus group, learn to be one who serves in the body of Christ. Philip started out waiting on tables. He rose to the point where he was out sharing actively. Actively. He went out sharing. And it wasn't that anybody pushed him out. There happened to be a persecution that arose at the end of Acts chapter 7, beginning of Acts chapter 8, that, that caused the disciples to have to flee from Jerusalem. And he went to Samaria, just north of Jerusalem, and he ended up preaching the gospel. And then he was, God used him to share with an Ethiopian eunuch who brought the gospel then to North Africa. And then God took him up the coast to Caesarea, and here he is, 20 years later. You want to see how to have a family that walks with God, that serves God, and children that love God and honor Him? Serve in the body of Christ. Preach His word. And your children will grow up the same way. They will learn to be good children, honoring God, active in the body of Christ. It is a good thing that Luke reported that they were virgins. They were fine young women. They were set apart for the gospel and they were active in the body of Christ. They were prophetesses. They, they had a gifting that they used for the blessing of the kingdom of God. Do that. Family is a precious thing. And you will learn to enjoy family and it is a blessed thing. Treasure that. Protect it. At all costs, protect it. You can work very hard, but not to the loss of your family. I have students that are divorced, graduate students, postdocs that are divorced, and it pains them so much not to have a family. And they sacrificed everything thinking they had to do this for their career. I have young colleagues that have gone through divorce. And I see the, the torment for them. Not being able to be around their kids. And not being able to ha- have, have the family unit. 
and they put their family and they sacrifice their family for their work. And it is a regrettable thing. You don't have to do that. You can work very hard and still maintain your family. You set aside time for your family. You set aside time for your family. Your career is actually better. It is much better in the long run. Because you have this balance that keeps you. And you have this constant encouragement to see you on through. You can still work very hard, but you must maintain your family. You give your family time. You teach them the Word of God. You give the example of bringing them to the body of Christ. I leave my house at 6 in the morning, 5 days a week. And I get home about 6 in the evening. I'm home for dinner. I'm gone early in the morning, but that's after teaching them the Word of God. And so I work very hard. I work Saturdays. I work eight hours on a Saturday. So I I put in a lot of hours in my line of work. I do. Not because I have to. As long as I teach my three hours of class, that's all I really have to be there. So this is a personally driven thing. But still there is family. And there is taking care of family. And so I was always home in the evenings. I was home in my family. And I was there in the mornings with them. And Sunday was a day that we treasured that was our day as a family, where we were going to labor in the body of Christ together. And we were going to be together on Sundays. That was our day together. So you can labor without losing your family. You can work hard with your hands and be successful in your career without losing your family. And in the long run, it will be much better. And then you will also have peace. Because, because your, your kids will be there with you rather than having to chase them down in the middle of the night all over town, trying to figure out where they are and bailing them out of jail. They will be there. You work to maintain this family. This man, 20 years in, he started waiting on tables. He was an evangelist, but he was also a family man. And he knew how to take care of his children. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the truth of your word, for the principles we see of family, of the treasure of the family, of the blessing of virginity. So much so that you would even note that openly in the scriptures as a testimony of these four young girls and their activity in the body of Christ, even to the point of being prophetesses. Father, thank you. And I pray for these young men, Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus, that they would take up their responsibilities as young men. They would learn to grow in the gospel and in the truth of the word of God, so that they could one day lead their families in that truth. And Father, I pray for these young men, that you would cause them to keep themselves pure and right and set apart for you, pure sexually, set apart for you, that they would walk And they would make proper decisions to walk uprightly. And in relationships that they would make decisions to walk uprightly. And that they would initiate the upright walk. And Father, I pray for these young women. That you would cause them also to serve in the body of Christ. To be dedicated to you. To look upon the example of these four young women that you talked about. And Father, that they would keep themselves pure and set apart for you. Never believing the lie of the world. Father, Your grace abound upon them, I pray. Your grace abound. Father, I pray that through these young people here, many families, 
good families, strong homes would be built up that are open to counsel and open to help to see them through hard times in marriage, but that many good families would be raised up from the people here. Father, thank you for the treasure of your word, for the treasure of the body of Christ. And I commit them to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.